0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Adult and Teen Challenge of the Upper Cumberland podcast. This is Pastor Tim McLaughlin, Executive Director of Adult and Teen Challenge, and we're just excited again that you have decided to join our podcast. Hopefully, you uh, have been listening the last couple of weeks. I started a new series uh, talking about becoming more Christ-like. Several years ago, I can't remember how many years ago it's been now, I read a book by Chip Ingram and it was called the R12 factor and R12 referring to Romans chapter 12 and um as we've been discussing when you when you look at the book of Romans and you look at all the letters really that the apostle Paul wrote you know Paul's writing all these letters Romans is is probably the most in-depth book and you understand this that Paul is writing this letter to this this church now, when we think of church, when I say church, we think of places like big buildings and 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 congregations that meet every Sunday and Wednesday and uh, children's ministries and stuff like that. But but you got to understand, this is back uh, you know probably around fifty seven A.D. Um, so. The church would have been little house churches. They would have been uh, groups of maybe, I don't know, 20, 30, maybe up to 100, but they were meeting in houses. Um, they, they were It wasn't like they were free to just start building big buildings. They were in Rome. Rome was a place of uh, many pagan gods, many false religions. Rome, uh, I hate to say it this way, but Rome, much like the world that we live in today, was, was just full of sin. I mean, everything was, was okay. Uh, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, drunkenness, th- those were all things that were just commonplace in Rome. And those that were declaring the news about Jesus, those that were called to be of the way, they weren't yet called Christians at this point, but those that were followers of Christ. How is it that people would become followers of Christ in such a pagan place like Rome? Well, when we go back and we look in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when the church was was, uh, established, it was on the day of Pentecost that that the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that there were many people from all these different areas uh, from around the known world that had come to uh, to Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost and so there were people that were there from Rome that had seen what had taken place, they had heard what had taken place on the day of Pentecost, how the believers were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then they they took this, this, this newfound belief, what they had heard, what they had experienced, what they had received, and they take it back to Rome and they begin to share it with other people. And so what happens is, is they're sharing this news about Jesus, as they're sharing this news about salvation uh, through uh, the, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit through His Spirit that was uh, given to us and the gifts of the Spirit the people in Rome, the, the, the leadership in Rome, the Caesar in Rome, did not like what he saw and what was going on. And and so there were many, again, followers of the way that were being persecuted. They were being crucified. Many of them were being uh, placed upon spears uh, and hung out uh, as the streets and set on fire, almost like, like human lampposts. Many were taken into the Colosseum and, and fed to, uh, to the lions and, and just just made a mockery of people were dying uh, in large numbers for their faith. So again, the church in Rome was not a big group of of people that were meeting in the public. It was probably a group of people that were meeting house to house and sharing this faith that they had found with others, and they were coming to a belief in Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing this letter from Corinth, to these newfound believers, this church in Rome, and he's telling them, I understand the persecution that you're under. I understand all that you're dealing with, and and I want you to know that you can live a Christ-like life, even in the midst of persecution. The reason I wanna share this message with you is because I'm telling you now, the news media, the, the movies, the things that we're seeing right now in society, everybody's trying to push stuff down our throat that, that it's okay that everybody's fornicating that that, that, that adultery that, 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 that homosexuality the that transgender that everybody drinks that everybody does drugs and all of these things and it's it's become the norm in our society well listen we are not the norm we we have a higher standard and his name is jesus So we need to know what it takes to live a life pleasing to God even in the midst of this perverse society that we live in, even in the midst of this perverse generation that we're in. So Paul starts sharing these things and he begins to to speak to them. And he starts in Romans chapter 1. And and he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, the just shall live by faith. What does it mean to be the just what does it mean to live a life of faith and so paul goes on and he begins to share these things in the first eight chapters of of the book of romans where he begins to teach these instructions that pertain to the righteousness of god and how to live a righteous life All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but thank God for the precious blood of Jesus. Then he goes on in chapters 9 through 11, and he begins to state some things in in these chapters uh, pertaining to the dispensations of Christ. Or you could say it this way, he begins to teach things beginning to deal with the promises of, of, of the grace of God, no longer under the law of Moses, but according to the grace of our lord and savior jesus christ and then by the time he gets through that he gets to romans chapter 12 and in romans 12 he says L- let me make everything that i've told you practical and so that's where i'm at today that's where i've been teaching on for the last couple of weeks is what does it mean to become more christ-like in a practical setting that's what we do here at Adult and Teen Challenge of the Upper Cumberland. I'm not here to talk to people about the the dangers of drug addiction and the effects of drug addiction and and why we need to be sober. I'm here to tell people what it is like to live a life, uh, uh, becoming more Christ-like. Because if you learn what the Word of God says, if you learn what the plan of God is for your life, if you learn that God has a greater things in store for you and how to live this Christian life full of the Spirit of God, you will never want to go back to drugs and alcohol. So let's look at this proven pathway to become more Christ-like that Paul begins to talk about in Romans chapter 12. And so what we looked about looked at a few weeks ago when we started this thing is that we're going to look at five principles, five biblical principles that Paul talks about right here in Romans chapter 12. The first one of those is surrendering to God. You need to surrender to God. Listen, if your are still trying to live a life for you, and you're trying to say, "Listen, I wanted to get into heaven by my merits, or I, I you know, I don't want to go to hell, but, but I, I want to keep on living the way I'm living." That's not surrender. When you surrender all to God, you, it's like throwing up your hands when the law enforcement comes to you and you just say, "I'm done running, I'm done fighting, I, I don't, I, I just surrender all to you." And we've got to do that. Paul begins to teach them in Romans twelve one. He starts off and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul says, I beseech you that you present your bodies. This word beseech is a word that means to, to beg, to implore, to urge strongly. Paul is saying, I am pleading with you that you would do this. He says that, that, that we would offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy to God. And he calls them brethren. That is a term referring to other believers. But as we also looked at last week, it's a term that that we see from Alexander the Great that means people born from the same womb. Now, we know that you and I are not born from the same womb. We know that you and I have, have different uh, uh mothers and different fathers. But when you're born again, you come from the same vine. Jesus told us that we have been grafted in. We have been become one in the same spirit. So so when we become children of God, when we accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we become brothers and sisters in Christ grafted in. I, I like how the message Bible says this in Romans chapter 12, verse one. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, and going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for God. I love that. So, the first thing we need to understand about living this, this, this life to be more Christ-like is we need to surrender everything to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, understanding that we cannot no longer live according to our fleshly nature, but we need to live according to the Spirit of God. By his mercies, we finished off last week talking about the mercies of God that by his stripes were healed. By the crown of thorns on his head, we were removed from poverty. Because of his payment, uh, His death, We were, our sins have been paid for. Because of his resurrection, we have the, the promise of eternal life with him. And because of his ascension, we know that someday we're gonna go just like that as well. So we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, but alive unto God following his works. Today, I want to talk to you about the second principle of becoming more Christ like. And the second principle is once you have surrendered all, then you understand that we are called to be separate from the world. We are called to be separate from this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A.W. Tozer said this, The greatness of God rouses fear within us, but His goodness encourages us not to be afraid of Him. To fear and not be afraid is a paradox of faith. I love that. To, to, to fear God, to reverence God, but to not be afraid. Now, I know a lot of people have grown up, unfortunately, in, in abusive households. And, and if that's you, I, I'm so sorry and I'll I pray for you. But, you know, I remember when I was 12, I had to go live with my uncle. And, and that's who I call my dad today. Uh, he's the one that raised me uh, from the time I was 12 until the time I was 18, And I feared him because when I did wrong, when I broke his rules, there was a punishment. That punishment could be grounding. That punishment could be uh, uh, getting spanked with a belt. That that, that punishment could be loss of certain privileges. My dad used to build pro street hot rods. And I knew that if I obeyed the rules, if I did what I was supposed to do, I got to drive a lot of nice cars. I remember at 16 years old driving a 66 Chevy 2 Nova that was tubbed out and a 69 Mustang with a big block in it that was tubbed out in in a 19. 1970 Corvette convertible Stingray 454. Those were things I used to get to cruise. My friends never had cars like that. But I had cars like that, but I only got to drive them if I obeyed the rules. But if I broke the rules, I didn't get to drive them and I knew that I was punished. So I feared my father when I broke the rules and I didn't do what he wanted me to do. But I understood also that that when I did what I was supposed to do, that that his goodness encouraged me to want to spend time with my father. That is how we need to be with God to understand this. When you're living a life in the flesh, you're going to reap what you sow. And when you sow a sin, you're going to reap the, the product of sin. But when you're living a life of righteousness, you're going to receive all the rewards of righteousness that God has for you and for I. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God rewards, God blesses, God pours out his abundant grace upon those who diligently seek him and desire to do his will. God wants to give us his best, but in order to do that, we must seek after the things of God. So Paul tells us right here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, He says, and do not. Now we understand that the word and lets us know that this is a continuation of what Paul was talking about in verse number one. So Paul is saying we must first surrender to God, be a living sacrifice, and do not. So first Paul says, pay attention, this is important. Now he's saying emphatically, don't do not do these things that I'm getting ready to tell you. Well, what is it that we don't need to do, Paul? Don't be conformed to this world. The word conformed in the in the Greek is the word sushimatsu. Sounds more Chinese when I say it than it does Greek. But the reality is this. The word means, it's a word that means that we're, we're to get our uh, English word, Scheme. That's where we get our English word "scheme" from the Greek word uh, "conform." It refers to the conforming of oneself to the fashion or appearance, or to the pattern or model of to be to be similar or identical by allowing the world to press us into their mold. When we are scheming, we are deceiving ourselves. We are dece- de- deceiving others, and we're lying to our creator by trying to make ourselves into a mold of this sinful world. God does not want us to become this world. God did not create us to become part of this sinful world. God created us to be a light in the darkness. Peter says this in first Peter chapter one, verse 13 through 16. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Because as it is written, be holy for I am holy. Peter here is quoting from Leviticus where Jesus, or where God says, be holy for I am holy, I am a holy God. But Peter is saying this, he says, listen, we are called to be to, to be, um to be brought up in this, this revelation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not conforming ourselves to our former conduct, not conforming ourselves to this world in ignorance, but being, being, being transformed into a holy life because we serve a holy God. Peter says that we're to have the peace and hope through grace which is given to us when we received the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation is a Greek word, which means appearing or revealing. So Peter understood some things about this revelation because he had spent time with Jesus. He had seen Jesus when Jesus came back from the resurrection. He spent time around the campfire when Jesus spoke to him and he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter had a revealing of God's love through the resurrection of Jesus and through the teaching of Jesus. John also had a revelation of Jesus. John, who also walked with Jesus on the earth, was also placed on the island of Patmos. And it was on the island of Patmos that John wrote this letter to the churches called the book of Revelation. But before John ever got to Revelation, before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, John walked with Jesus. And John wrote this in John chapter 16, verses 13 and 16, where he said, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and some others say Jeremiah, and some say the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? John is writing this. Peter answers and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter understood who Jesus was. John understood who Jesus was. And they understood at the revelation of Jesus, the disciples knew that Jesus was a teacher and a prophet sent by God, but they received true revelation when they confessed that he was the Christ. They received revelation when they confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one in his anointing. See, at this point, the blinders were removed and they saw clearly that Jesus was the light of the world when peter conf- when when we confirm rather when we confirm to this world that we uh, who have become blinded by the darkness and the veil of sin but our eyes are opened and the veil is removed because we've accepted jesus as our lord and savior we we no longer look like the world. We no longer talk like the world. We no longer act like the world because we've made a decision to make Jesus Lord of our life and the veil of sin that once covered our life has been removed. We are no longer blinded. We are no longer de- deceived by the schemes of the world. So Paul, Paul is saying right here in Romans 12 too, do not be blinded by the lies and sin of this world. Then he goes on and he says, but be transformed. The word transformed means to be radically changed in character, in condition, or in nature. The Greek word for transformed is the word metamorpho. That's where we get our English word metamorphosis. When we think of metamorphosis, we think about a caterpillar that goes through a metamorphosis to become a butterfly. This caterpillar is radically transformed in every way. It no longer looks at all like a caterpillar. It no longer acts at all like a caterpillar. Now it it, it, it no longer has to climb and no or, 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 or crawl upon the ground. Now it can soar with wings. It is completely different in everything when it goes through the metamorphosis. When we are transformed... When we become children of God, we are transformed in appearance. We are transformed in our values, our ideals, and our behavior. We are no longer like the fallen world. We are are radically new in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, "But when we all with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just by the Spirit of the Lord. What image? The image that we were created in. In Genesis 2, 7 says we were created in the image of God. We were created in the image of our Lord. We were created in an image, but yet we have fell from grace and now we look more like the world than we do. Uh, the Godhead and he says we need to be transformed we need to be go through this metamorphosis when we go back to the place where we begin to look like and act like and talk like Jesus how how can we go through this transformation how do we not live according to the world standards that we live in and yet be transformed well by renewing our minds By renewing our minds. As a child of God, we should continually renew our minds through prayer and through the study of God's word. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot do it in our own strength. We, we, we would have never been in this situation we were in in the first place if we, had, if we would always have trusted or somebody would have told us early on about the power of God. But, but we did, we fell. But now through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be, we can be made renewed. Listen, I was saved in 1996 at a a, a church, a denominational church, but for the next two and a half years, I struggled with alcoholism even in the midst of my salvation. Why? Because I never renewed my mind. Have you ever heard the definition of insanity? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Listen, I was doing the same thing over and over. And I thought if I just kept going to the altar, that would be enough. But it wasn't until I, I began to read the word and I began to minister, have people minister to me. I had a pastor that reached out to me and he began to disciple me and he began to teach me some things. And I began to, to, to renew my mind to the things of God. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit that began to walk with me and help me to understand how it was that Christ desired me to live. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 7 says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But... When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know I've heard people say this about Christianity and I've heard people say this about the adult and teen challenge program. They say you guys all you're doing is is you you are um you are brainwashing people. That the Christian faith is just brainwashing people. Listen, can I tell you this? You're absolutely correct. My brain needed to be washed. My brain needed to be scrubbed. My brain needed a complete and total scrubbing Uh, of the sins of this world and then renewing of the things of God when when my mind was renewed when I was transformed when I went through the metamorphosis uh, of understanding God's plan for my life and I received the Holy Spirit then from there I began to walk out those things I begin to walk it out. Romans 12, 2 says, after this, then we need to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know that that's what I'm doing every single day? That's why I'm uh, I'm recording this podcast. That's why I preach. That's why I run an adult and teen challenge program. Because I want to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The NIV says this. Then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will." I am living out the will of God. I couldn't earn my salvation. I couldn't do enough deeds, good deeds, to earn salvation. It was by His grace that I earned His salvation. But now that I've earned His salvation, now that I've been renewed by the the presence of the Holy Spirit and by the renewing of my mind, now I'm walking out these things in front of others. Can you imagine that there is something that we can actually do that God promises will allow us to test and approve how good, pleasing, and perfect His will is for our lives. God wants us to experience His good and perfect will in our marriages, in our jobs, in our family, and in our future. Even in difficult situations, God wants us to experience His perfect will Even in the midst of COVID last year, even in the midst of when a tornado hit my house, I had things to rejoice about. I had things to thank God about. I had the opportunity to tell other people about how much I loved him. And they would say, how in the world can you love a God that that would allow a tornado to hit your house? How, How can you love a God that would allow COVID to hit your family? How can you love a God that would... Listen, can I tell you something? It's the sinful world, it's the enemy that's doing this. We live in a fallen world. But God says, listen... I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. I am, I am going to bless those that surrender all and love me. I. I listen, I don't do it because God is, is giving me things. I don't love him because uh, you know I'm looking for the next great gift. I love him because he gave the ultimate gift. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the grave on the third day, and he promised me that, that I could sit with him in heavenly places. I want to serve him. I want to prove what is the good and perfect will of God. If we will learn to wait upon the Lord instead of run off on our own power, he will give us the strength to endure even in this life. Isaiah 40 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If we will trust in and study the word of the Lord, we will have an understanding of his good, uh, of his will for our lives instead of our will that leads to destruction. Proverbs 3, 5-6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. If we will acknowledge God's grace in difficult situations, He will always make a way of escape. Paul said in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation is overtaking you except it is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I was able to bear the tornado. I was able to bear COVID. I was able to bear during these times because I understand this. God made a way of escape. God has given me strength that is supernatural to live for him. God wants us to give, uh, God wants to give us his very best. Not the easiest, but his best. The creator of the universe knows your name. He sees your heart. He knows your pain and he longs to pour out his good and acceptable and perfect will into every area and every relationship of our life. Most Christians do not experience God's best because they get seduced and conned into believing the lies of this world that will keep them conformed to the pattern of this world, and they will miss out on all the wonderful things that God wants to do in us, through us, and with us. A whole generation of Israelites died in the wilderness, never experiencing God's best, the promised land because they would not be transformed in their way of thinking. God called them out and separated them for his good pleasure, but they were too concerned with their their will instead of God's will. God has called you and I to separate ourselves from the lies and the schemes of this world into a life lived for him. Will you wander around in a wilderness of your addiction, pity, anger, grief, and self-centeredness, or will you surrender all to God and be transformed in the inside out to what God's Word says for you? God does not want us to conform, but God wants us to be transformed. Would you surrender all today? Would Would you ask Jesus to come into your life? And when you ask Him to transform you, by the renewing of your mind, so that you can look more like Christ and be separated from this evil world. Father, we thank you again for all that you're doing in us, through us, and with us. And we pray, Father God, that you will bless each and every one that's listened. And Father, if there's one that's struggling, if there's one that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation for them. And Father, we just thank you and we praise you for all that you're doing Bless them and keep them, Lord. Until next week, we give you all praise, glory, and honor. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you again for tuning in. And we hope to see you next week. God bless.